thank you everyone for coming out on this very special service here this morning. We think of our communion service. The title of the message this morning, I struggle with that just a tad, but we're going to title it The Blood of Christ. We're going to take, go back into the Old Testament a little bit and see an account there. Then we're going to jump into the New Testament with a, a number of verses. We'll be jumping around a little bit, so be prepared for that. But the point that I want you to take from this is uh, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, but the precious blood of Christ will set you free. Turn to your Bible to Leviticus chapter 16. A few verses we'll start with in Leviticus 16. What I want us to look at here is, is watch for the word, which will be our first point shortly. Watch for the word scapegoat. Leviticus 16, verses 2 through 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat that is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen and he shall have on the linen breeches upon his feet and he shall be girded with a linen girdle and with the linen linen mitre shall he be attired. These are all the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his feet in water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now here we find instructions for the day of atonement. And this was a very considered a very holy day in, in their time. And as you saw, the number of rituals that the priests had to perform on this day. But a little background, the book of Leviticus begins with seven chapters describing the five offerings that the people were to bring before God in holy worship. So it was, uh, can I say it this way, it was quite a process. A lot of things that had to be done. The law was written, and they needed to follow this. The offerings were provided a means for the people to seek forgiveness from their sin and also to celebrate God's love for the people. This was also a time during this time that people fasted. And while they were fasting, they were to uh, confess their sins, confess their, their attitudes and their wrong actions. The, the Day of Atonement was held normally in September or October, so right around this time of the year, which on their calendar. And it was a day set aside for the people to offer the sins for the other, confess their sin for the past year. Now, atonement in the Hebrew meant to cover. Also, some more definitions were appease, cleanse, forgive, pardon, put off, and reconcile. And the reason I 
just gave you that definition is because take notice the Hebrew definition does not say that the day of atonement was a time to wash away, remove, and remember sins no more. That's what we'll be getting to uh, just shortly. So here we have the day of atonement. And then verses 8 and 9 and 10, we talk about the scapegoat. So one of the, called a ritual that they were to hold, consisted of two male goats. And as I read, the one was to be offered sacrifice as a sin offering. And the second one was the scapegoat. So the first one was sacrificed, and his blood was used to cleanse the holy place, the tent that they were meeting at, and the altar. Cleansed all that from the sin of the people. So the high priest at that time would take blood from this goat, sprinkle it over and in front of the mercy seat. So he sanctified the place for the Day of Atonement. Now the second goat, which we looked at, which we're going to look at here, is called the scapegoat. Not a word that I use a whole lot throughout the day, but if you would use the word the scapegoat, you would be referring to a person who is blamed for the wrongdoings, mistakes, or faults of others. That's what a scapegoat is. And you might be thinking, well, that happened to me occasionally. That's what this happened here. It basically, it would be an innocent person taking the blame away from a guilty person. That was how it was, and also the same way it fell here in Leviticus. The high priest would place both his hands on the head of this goat, and he would confess all of Israel's sins and their faults and their mistakes and their shortcomings, and then he would, they would send this goat away into the wilderness, removed from society as a sign of removal of sin. You're there in Leviticus 12, 16, go to verses read verses 20, 21, and 22. This is talking again about the scapegoat. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place, that was with the first goat, and the the tabernacle of the congregation, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. So the work of the first goat was accomplished, was done, now the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel. And all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat go into the wilderness. There we have the two goats. <clears throat> Excuse me. One for sacrifice, one as a scapegoat. Place the sins of the people upon his head and send him away. Innocent as the goat may appear, the weight of sin was put upon him and he was turned away. Now what I described there in a nutshell was the old covenant. This was all happening prior to Jesus Christ. Now we're going to the New Testament. Like I said, we're going to jump around a little bit. If you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, I'd like to read a, a, a few verses from Hebrews 10, kind of tying this all together. Hebrews 10, verse 1, for the law, okay, now we're, talk, we're referring back to Levitical law, back to what we just read. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. So here, anticipation is beginning to build. Good things are going to come. And not the very image of things can never, with those sacrifices, Levitical law, which they offered year by year continually, make the commerce thereunto perfect. 
for them they would have not ceased to be offered because the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. And what I'm really drawn from this, I want you to look at is verse 10, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Now, I understand, I read a lot and I said a lot, but let's see if we can pull this together. In the, the New Testament here, we see the Old Testament Levitical law was a shadow of something that is still yet to come. The Old Testament ceremonies under the first covenant were impressive in many ways. You could spend hours reading through the Old Testament law, but the fact remains they could never produce what the worshipers were actually seeking. And what was that? That was a, the perfect forgiveness of sins and a right relationship with God. That's where that fell short. And God was well aware of what was happening, even though they were offered year after year. As we see here in Hebrews as well, they still fell short of the mark. Repetition was not the key, was not the answer to what they were going through. If this ritual, what Hebrews is telling us, if this had made the worshiper perfect, if it had done that, the Levitical law, then the sacrifices would stop, would have stopped because the worshipers would no longer feel guilty for sins. No, I took care of that last year. And that's kind of where we are at when we confess our sins. We don't continue to confess them year after year after year, but we're living under the new covenant. And that's what he's, the book of Hebrews is telling us there. But the Old Testament sacrifices could not offer that complete cleansing of sin. What did they do? They created a consciousness of sin. And then thus, making those that sacrifice more aware of their transgression. So it had kind of like a continuation. And that's why Hebrews says, year after year after year, they offered this. But then verse 4 might be a little bit easier for us to understand. They offered the blood of bulls and goats year after year. But Hebrews said, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. The animal sacrifices were not effective in removing sin. And as a matter of fact, they were not intended to. They were just a point to what was still to come, and that was Jesus Christ as the foreshadow. And a shadow is a dim representation of the real thing. So they're just a shadow of what is to come. We know what shadows are. So while the Israelite people were obedient to God's command and following it to the letter of the law, the rituals that they were performing... What were they doing? They were simply pointing them to Jesus. If you look in, you're there in Hebrews 10, just look at verses 5 and 6. Wherefore, when he, Jesus Christ, cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Now we're getting to the good part. We remember thinking about why we are here this morning. And he says it very clearly in verse 6. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure then why did they do it? Well, they were obedient to God, and they were doing exactly what they were called to do, but something better was to come. We know the song, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altar slain can give the guilty conscious peace or wash away the stain. So all the blood that was sacrificed, the songwriter and the Bible is telling us it's coming up short. It could not provide peace for the people. The song goes on, but Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sin away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. So 
all the Old Testament sacrifices, as the word used, impressive as they may be, they were commanded by God. And God expected them to follow through. And God expected obedience back in the Old Testament day, and he expects obedience from you this morning as well. God expects obedience from us. Are we following his command? But that was the first covenant. That was God's plan for his people at that time before Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 1. John was having a conversation with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees said, John, who are you? What are you, Christ? And John tells them, I'm just the voice of one cried in the wilderness. Obviously, John had no intention of drawing had no intention of drawing attention to himself, but he was pointing people to Jesus. We know John, we call him the, the forerunner. So the following day, it appears like there's a crowd of people around John. And verse 29, the next day, John sees Jesus coming to him. And he said, I like to, if I'm allowed, say, John shouted, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So these Jewish people were following him, and they were accustomed to the Old Testament law, to the Old Covenant. And now here, John sees Jesus' covenant and says, Behold the Lamb of God. So the Jewish people, the people that were with him, they knew what a Lamb of God was because of the sacrifices we just looked at. But John was not telling the people, when he was looking at Jesus, he was not pointing to a little lamb walking around the green grass, drinking from the still streams. God, John was pointing to, to Jesus Christ. And as the Lamb of God, he said the Lamb of God, then he goes on, which will, and he uses the word there, take away the sin of the world. So Jesus, referred to as the Lamb of God, is going to be the final and the ultimate sacrifice. The one who is going to be, he was able to do what the blood of bulls and goats cannot do, and that is take away sin. John said, behold the Lamb of God. I repeat, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, but the precious blood of Christ will set you free. So I started a little bit with a scapegoat. Now the question for another point is the New, the New Testament scapegoat. And you're in John. Just flip back a few pages to John 18. I like to read three verses here in John 18. John 18, the last three verses, 38, 39, and 40. Here we have some familiar verses. Um, one we, verse 38, we know by heart. Pilate saith unto Jesus, what is truth? And I understand that's a subject of its own. We're going to keep going here. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find no fault in him at all. But, Pilate continues, you have a custom that I re should release unto you one at the Passover. Then he asks a question, will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Should I release unto you Jesus Christ? This is your custom at this time, should I release Jesus Christ? Verse 40, they cried, then cried they all again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. 
little background on that, a little bit of information on Barabbas. He was thrown into prison for rebellion and robbery and murder. Then later, as I just read, Barabbas is set free. So the question, was Barabbas a type of a New Testament scapegoat? And I'll answer my own question. I'll say, well, maybe in a very, very, when I say very small way, in that he was set free. Like that scapegoat, they placed the, Aaron placed his hands upon that goat, and then he set him free. That goat probably didn't know what just happened. Maybe in a small way he was, because he was, he was set free, maybe not into the wilderness, but they didn't, neither did they take his life. And when we, we think of this, one of the, uh, the beautiful doctrines in, in Scripture is the doctrine of substitution. Just as Jesus was crucified in place instead of Barabbas, so Jesus was crucified in our place. There we see the doc, a little bit of the doctrine of substitution, but back to Barabbas. He was a member of a radical group in Israel. Uh, they were hoping to overthrow the Roman Empire. So he was committed to using a tear to get within, within their group. And in a sense, he was a hero among some of the Jewish people. Because he was, he was helping trying to get the Romans off their back. But he, because of his terroristic acts, Barabbas was condemned to die. He had been found guilty of murder. And he was to be crucified on that Friday many years ago. So if you can put yourself in his place just for a minute, try to imagine... His dread, as he counted the days, minutes, and hours that led up unto the day that he was to be executed. The time arrived, and he heard the footsteps of the soldiers coming down the hall. They, opened, they unlocked his door and opened his door, and there he was, Barabbas, headed for death. So there he stood in his cell, his heart pounding, and then one of the guards spoke. Barabbas, there's a man named Jesus, and he's going to die in your place. The man Jesus is going to die, and Barabbas, you are free to go home. So I ask the question again, was he a scapegoat? And again, maybe just in a very small way that he was set home. But who is the New Testament scapegoat? As we saw earlier, if we use that word, it's to refer to a person who's taking the blame from others. There's a guilty person, and the guilt is removed and placed upon others. Let me read a verse in Isaiah and also 1 Peter, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. So that's yourself and myself. We have turned everyone to his own way. Again, that's us. And the verse says, And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And here we see sin and guilt being placed upon Jesus. Here we see the New Testament scapegoat. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus took our blame and put it upon himself. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. In Leviticus that scapegoat took the nation's sins and carried them into the wilderness. Today, Jesus, or when he died, he took our sin and washed it away. 
He died in our place. The New, Te- the New Testament scapegoat. When you think about why we are here, communion, because of Christ died, I'm going to take the time to read a number of verses here in John 19, which is right after, right where your Bibles are open to. And just think about, as I read, think about what all took place. What we're going to get to here uh, just shortly is Jesus is going to tell us, and this is what we're going to do. He says, he says, this do in remembrance of me. So this is the remembrance, John 19. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Familiar verses, but just, just pause for a moment and think of what just happened. We could go into detail of scourging. We, we, we know what that is. We could go into details of how it would feel if someone would make a crown of thorns and then plait or just roughly place them upon your head. We know what would happen there. The mocking we see in verse 3, they smote our Lord. They hit him in verse 3. Let's go ahead. Pilate, verse 4, Therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And we found that, Pilate said that in verse 38, and here again in verse 4. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said unto him, Behold the man. When the chief priests therefore and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Take you him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Third time we see that. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Other gospels tell us how afraid he was. Other gospels tell us that his wife said not to have no part with this. Pilate was in a tough spot. Verse 9, again, and again went again into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? And Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said unto him, I think Pilate was getting a little frustrated. He said, You're not talking to me? Don't you know that I have power I have the power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee. I'm adding a few words there. Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. It makes a point clear there. Therefore, he that delivereth me unto you hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, if, the, if you let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat him down in the judgment seat in the place that is called, called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. I believe Jesus heard everything that was going on, for he was sitting or standing right there. The people who had ministered to for so many years, they turned their backs. So basically, we don't want nothing to do with this man. We have a king, yes, but he is Caesar. 
verse 16. Then delivered him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two, and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Don't write that he is the king of the Jews, but he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate still had a little bit of stubbornness remaining within. He said, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from top throughout. Therefore said they among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Who shall it be that the scripture may be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and from my vesture did they cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cephas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, which would have been John, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that moment, John took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things should now be accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now there was a set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon a hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because of the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and and broke the legs of the first, and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Verse 34 is a key verse here. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, his record is true, and he knoweth that it is true, that ye might believe. Speaking to John there again. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone in him should not be broken. And again, another scripture said, they shall look on him whom they have, whom they, whom they pierced. Tying in the goat that was, the blood was shed to the blood that Jesus shed. And that was John's account, and I Please allow me to read three verses from Luke's account. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. And the next verse I have highlighted in in my notes. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, certainly this was a righteous man. The innocent goat back in... in, uh, in Leviticus, that scapegoat. And here we have an innocent man. He took our wrongdoings. He took our sin. He took our faults. And he willingly gave his life for you and for me. Jesus shed his innocent blood for my sin. He took his filth, my filth, upon his head so that I someday could experience eternal life. 
like to get to my final point, which is the blood of Christ. If you could go to Hebrews one more time. I've got a few more verses here I'd like to look at. When we think of uh, Hebrews 9, the, the new covenant and the sacrifice of Christ's blood. Look at verse 11 through 14 but in Hebrews 9. But Christ being come and high priest of the good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? No, we had never minimized the effectiveness of the blood of Christ, but look at what. We are such a blessed people because of what Jesus has done for us. These verses speak of the good things to come there in verse 11, of a more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. It mentions the coming uh, not with the blood of goats, but with his own blood. And we're told that Christ will cleanse our conscience. The passage here in in, uh, Hebrew just, just centers around the death of Jesus Christ there on the cross. The earlier chapters in Hebrews describe the Old Testament priesthood. And the tabernacle and the sacrifices that were offered in to seek the forgiveness of sins. And these verses which I just read show how Christ by his sacrifice has surpassed the institutions under the old covenant. And today we sit here this morning just blessed because of the sacrificial death of Christ. As we saw in, in Leviticus, the, the Jewish high priest entered into the most holy place once a year with blood to make atonement for himself and also for the sins of of the people. Yet the Old Testament high priest was inferior to Christ because his priestly work on the cross provided salvation for all who believe. And the blood of Jesus Christ was poured out as a single offering, one-time event, shed once there on the cross, but his blood is eternally effective. We see that in verse, end of verse 12. Did you ever ask the question, and I think we have many times, where would we be if it were not for Jesus Christ? And maybe we could answer that question. Well, maybe we'd be off, out somewhere offering to go to some tabernacle with the high priest. Maybe we, that's where we would be. But what we look here is the blood of Jesus surpasses the animal, sac- animal offerings that were under the, the, the old covenant. And in verse 14, we see how much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works so we can serve the living God. The blood of Christ is the fact that it produces the desired effect of making our conscience clean. Don't raise your hand, but how many times were you bothered by a, your conscience smoting you for something you have done? It's not a good feeling, but Christ can set us free. The blood of Christ secures the forgiveness of sins. How many times have you struggled with, being, with unforgiveness? But the blood of Christ secures that forgiveness. His blood is a ransom to free captives from their sin. 
If you're here this morning and you're struggling with that, the blood of Christ will set you free. Philip blessed Pendy's words. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. There we see the scapegoat coming out. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And that's who we are serving. And that's why we're here today, as we remember what he has done for us. Just a little more in his blood. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. There we see more that you and I have today because of the blood of Christ. John 1, 1. John 1, 7. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what do we have? We have fellowship one with another. Praise the Lord. But he says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You don't have to tell me you're a blessed people. I'm here to tell you this morning, you are a blessed people because of the, the blood of Christ. Washes us, cleanses us from within. We're not going to go out here outside and call up some goats and have Lester do some killing. That's not where we're at. That was old. We're in the new. And thank you, Jesus Christ, for your finished work there on the cross. We're blessed because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And today we're following his command as we remember his suffering and death. His command to say, this do in remembrance of me. And I, gotta read, I have to read three more verses in closing because I thought it ties in so well. Hebrews 4, 14, 15, and 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. We're talking about priests a little bit this morning. We have, you and I have a great high priest that is passed into heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And because of that, there's some lettuce that we like to look at. Not lettuce that we're going to eat here in a few minutes. But let us do what? Let us hold fast our profession. Is your faith worth holding on to? Amen. It is. For it goes on. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So we're not here today serving someone who doesn't understand what we're feeling. That's not the case. Here's the second let us. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I conclude with thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for our sin. Thank you, Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, but the, blood of the precious blood of Christ will set you free. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we just come before you this morning just so grateful and thankful that you were willing to die there for our sin. And you didn't put away the Old Testament law. You fulfilled that law. And today, this morning, as we take the, the emblems, we remember your shed blood and what, how you have suffered and died for us. Help us never to forget what you've done for us, Lord, but just be ever grateful that the blood of Christ can set us free. Thank you, Jesus, we pray. Thank you. Amen.